Hey, welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name's Ben. I'm the pastor here. Uh, a lot of good things that are happening, um, and specifically, we are this morning ending our book of Colossians study together. Uh, we've kind of been going through chapter by chapter. Uh, we haven't been reading every single verse, um, as we sometimes do. Uh, this book, we've kind of more so picked out the, the, the key and the critical information in each chapter as we've gone along, so we're ending this week. Um, two Sundays from now, the 16th, we're actually going to be starting a study that I'm pretty excited about. Um, it's basically a study on character. We're going to be looking at the, um, a fella who many of you have heard of, and his name's David. And regardless of kind of your familiarity with church and or religion, you've probably heard of David or maybe have at least heard the phrase um, David and Goliath and know the implications of what that means. Uh, what we're going to study are essentially defining moments that happened in David's life um, that defined his character. He was a man, uh, as the scripture tells us, that was a man after God's own heart. And so we're going to be looking at the man after God's own heart and the character and the heart, essentially, of that man named David. So we're going to do that for about three weeks, and we're going to kick off some Christmas stuff as it's coming along. And if um, you are like my wife, um, he, she's, you know, I don't know if you are familiar with our typical Christmas uh, style, um, but generally speaking, our worship leaders don't play uh, Christmas music because everybody wants to be cool and emo. Um, but they don't play music until like the very last minute. And so I just want you to know, if you're a Christmas fan, my wife is on your side and she has been pleading with William. Um, and by pleading, I mostly mean saying, I'll give you Florida State tickets if you play um, Christmas music for the entire month and we don't sing anything else besides that. So not that you care, but now you know. All right, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, as we get started, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray as we investigate your word, as we read what um, we believe that you inspired. God, we thank you for these documents, these texts that were preserved for the last couple thousand years, not specifically for us, but for the church as a whole so that we could know how to walk, how to live, and how to be more like you, Jesus. God, I pray as we pray every single time that we gather together, that wherever we are in our relationship with you, for some of us who have been walking with you year after year after year, and for some of us who are just here, not sure if we know you, not sure if we believe in you, but are interested, God, I pray regardless of where we are in our walk, regardless of where we are in our relationship with you, that you would speak to us fresh and newly this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in the book of Colossians, as it, for some of you who've been here week after week, you know this is kind of old information for you, but if you're new, let me catch you up on the tail end of where we are. Um, the book of Colossians was written by this fellow named Paul. Now, Paul, uh, who wrote the book, um, didn't sit down one day, and he didn't decide, okay, I'm going to do something incredibly spiritual today. I'm going to write the Bible. Um, Paul, as much of, much of the New Testament was written, um, was simply a letter. It was a letter that was written by one person to oftentimes a group of people and from time to time to an individual. And the book of Colossians um, was, was very you know, innovative in their titling because it was to the church at Colossae or Colossae, as we've said every weekend. If you want to sound more spiritual than the person next to you in your row, you, they say Colossae and you say, no, it's Colossae. And they'll say, oh, you've learned Greek in religion class, so you know, go for you. So anyways, regardless of kind of where you are in, in your knowledge of it, it was written to a group of people um, that was a church. And the reason that that's significant is because they were people just like you and just like me. They had issues just like you and just like me. You see, culture has changed, times have changed, things have changed, but human nature is still the same. And so the things that we read in the book of Colossians are the same things that you, were going, you and I are going through. And it was as if Paul was writing a letter, and it was to the people of Tallahassee. And so he said, Tallahasseans, or if you're from Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Jacksonvilleans, or if you're from Perry, Perrins, or I don't you know how, how you pronounce that one, but you know, Wakulians, whatever it is for you, from Cottondale, Mariana, Cottondaleans, Marianaians. So wherever you're from, it's like he's writing to this church 
that was representative of a city. They didn't have First Baptist and Third Presbyterian and all those types of things that we have now. They just had a church in a city, and Paul would write to correct things. Or he would write to encourage particular activities or particular practices or particular works that were being done. Or he would, call, he would, he would write to correct certain theologies. And this particular city that he's writing to had this interesting theology that we oftentimes struggle with too. And kind of simply said what it is, is they saw the morality of religion and thought that's what Jesus was all about. They saw the morality, they saw the moral framework as defined in the Old Testament, which, which, which they called the law. And they said, okay... We understand that Jesus is a key player. We understand that Jesus plays a critical role in this whole religion thing. We understand that Jesus, you know, okay, you believe in him, that that's fine, that's good. But if you're really going to be a Christian, if you're really going to be a Christian, then you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to also do these five things. You have to also go to, you know... attend these certain services, you have to also go to these religious festivals, you have to also, you know, not eat this and not drink that and not go to that place and not hang out with those people. They said, you basically, it's not just simply about Jesus, it's about Jesus plus what you do. And Paul was writing, and he said, no, 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 no. He says this in chapter 2. He says, don't think, don't think that by the harsh treatment of your body and your asceticism that you're going to actually produce some kind of a valuable religion, because that's meaningless. In fact, what he would say was, and this, this is an incredible discovery we made a couple weeks back. What he said was, all of those things that happened in the Old Testament had a purpose. All those rules had a point. Their point and their purpose were simply foreshadowing. And the substance of these things find themselves in Christ. That means the reason for the law wasn't so that we would be under the law. The reason for the rigid, moral, structured framework wasn't so that we would always have this rigid, moral, structured framework. It was so we would realize if we try to earn our way into God's good graces, which is the key question of all religion, then these are the rules. And we always find ourselves as rule breakers. We always find ourselves indebted to God because we've broke that framework. He said, the purpose of the law, he said this in Galatians, the purpose of the law was like a schoolmaster guarding us, guiding us, protecting us, informing us that we were in fact in need of a savior. And that savior came to make dead people alive and not dead people feel jailed and enslaved to a law they could never keep anyways. Which left us with the question of last week. Which is, how far do you take that? How far do you take that? Because you could say that and say, well, can't you just go do anything? Can't you just go say whatever? Can't you just go do whatever? I mean, isn't that kind of like writing a blank check and saying, you know, now that you've been forgiven, go crazy, go nuts, spring break, who cares? You know, that business trip, that, you know, time, that whatever, that Friday night, that Saturday night, that Monday through Sunday night, you know. I mean, kind of like, isn't that just like a free check to say, you know, go whatever, do whatever? And Paul says, you know, it is. And in fact, almost every time you see Paul tell the gospel, he has to go back and clarify and say, okay, so now that you have that freedom, now that you realize that you're no longer enslaved to the law because you have freedom in Christ, I don't want you to go do whatever. I want you to be inspired to holiness. 
This is the critical difference that we came around last week. As Christians, the reason that you and I obey God is one, because oftentimes the rule he gives are just pretty good rules. You know, hey, don't lie. The world would be a better place if we didn't all just lie to each other. Don't commit adultery. The world would probably just be a better place if everybody didn't go cheat on each other. But he says, come on. The reason that you obey isn't to be loved by God, but you're motivated because you are so deeply loved by God. And the love and the realization of God's love for you drives and motivates a love back for him which results in obedience. And so Paul kind of in his concluding remarks is going to talk about somewhere where the rubber meets the road as we're going to open up in chapter 4 verse 2. And he's going to basically talk about, hey, so this is what, you know, now that we've kind of cleared all that up, now that we've gotten all our ducks in a row, now that you understand it's not about this rigid framework, now that you understand it's about Jesus, now that you understand that because you have, don't have that rigid moral framework anymore, God still calls you to holiness. And so this is what I want you to do with that. And in fact, he's going to say, so this is what I want you to pray for me about. Now that's interesting. Because most times Paul is praying or telling people, this is what you should do, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. Paul says, okay, let me just pause for a second. I want you to pray for me about something. I want you to consider me about something. In a weird way, Paul's saying, so here's what I need help with. Now the reason that's so significant at least I feel like that's so significant, is that when you find anybody who's very successful at what they do, when you find anybody who's very successful at what they do, and they say, okay, so yeah, yeah, I'm successful, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, you know, Paul who planted churches all around what is now the Mediterranean Rim, I mean, told people about Jesus, told people about Jesus, I mean, hundreds of people, thousands of people at this point in time, you know, 2014, millions of people, probably billions of people would believe in Jesus because of the ministry that Paul did. And Paul says, okay, but, but here's what I need help with. And whenever you find where someone who is successful needs help, you find insight into what it's like to be like them. And here's what's interesting that we're going to find out. When you think of, look at Paul, when you think about Paul, you think he's just this unbelievable force. Like, I could never be like him. I could never have the impact. And that might be true. You might never have the impact that Paul has. But what's interesting is Paul's prayer request gives light to something that we've all felt time and time and time again. So Paul says, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, so continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So, okay, first, I, just, I want you to continue to steadfast. I just want you to continue to pray. I want you to have endurance in your prayers, which for some of us, honestly, this is kind of, if, if I was going to have a main take home for me as I'm reading these verses, this is huge for me. Be transparent. I'm not a naturally great prayer. There's somebody that you can sit down and you pray for like an hour and it feels like it's 15 minutes. If I sit down for 15 minutes and pray, it felt like it's been like 10 hours, you know, my mind casually kind of actually says, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, okay, now what do we do with it? You know, that, that's just, that's how I am. So Paul says, no, 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 I want you to be steadfast, steadfast in prayer. And at the same time, pray also for us. So here's what I want you to pray us for, for us for. Pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which account 
I, may, I am in prison. Now, Paul starts out with this case. So here's, what, here, here's the first part of our prayer request. We're going to have two parts to it. There's a part A and there's a part B. So here's the first part. I want you to pray that God opens the door for an opportunity for me to tell people about Jesus. I want you to pray, and I know that seems kind of silly, and Paul, you know, it might seem silly to you to think that Paul would pray for that, ask for prayer for that, because that's like all Paul did. All he did was go and tell people about Jesus, plant churches. As that church grew, as that church developed, he would go and plant another church. Oftentimes, he wouldn't even wait for the church to grow and to develop, because he would be so bold in his faith that he would get kicked out of a city. Paul would go to one place for two weeks, sometimes like a weekend. And as he went there and he told people about Jesus and told people about Jesus, everyone would hear it would be kind of divisive and not because he was like a jerk about it, but because so much of what people thought their ideologies, theologies, and worldviews were wrapped up. And Paul said, I know what you heard. And I know that we're all seeking truth. But let me tell you the truth. There's this guy named Jesus. And it's, it's interesting, when you re- listen to Paul, when you read his writings, when you read what he talked about, especially in the book of Acts, Paul almost never said, hey, you're a terrible person, you're a horrible person, you're going to hell. Because people knew. They had the law. They knew they had fallen short. Paul would say, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And the essence of his message, which he would oftentimes refer to as the mystery of Christ, was not a mystery to God, but was a mystery to many people for a long time. Because the Old Testament pointed and said, there's going to come a prophet. There's going to come a Messiah. There's going to come a Messiah. There's going to come a guy. There's going to come a guy. And it would continually be foreshadowing and pointing towards it. And he'd say, okay, so the prophets told you. And then God came down. And Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies that God said. That all the Amoses and all the Isaiahs and all the Jeremiahs and all the dudes who ever prophesied anything about Jesus, Jesus fulfilled. And then after he fulfilled it, he died. But to substantiate and to give life, he rose from the dead. And he appeared at one point to one, at one point to a few, and at one point... So it's not like the Loch Ness Monster type thing. I saw E.T. over 500 at one time. And at one point he writes, many of whom are still living in Jerusalem. In in other words. And so if you don't believe me, there was a point where he showed up to over 500 people at one time. And most of them are still there. And you can go talk to them if you want to. And Paul would go everywhere and declare this. And Paul says, okay, but here's my prayer request. I want you to pray for me that God would open doors. I want you to pray for me that God would open up conversations. I want you to pray for me that God would grant me influence. I want you to pray for me that God would show me, would open to me, and would just grant me all kinds of opportunities to speak life and to speak truth into people's lives. Now, let me just tell you, is there anything that we could say would be more appealing to a Christian in our current human condition? Because here's what I know about me, and so I'm guessing it's true about you. Personally, and you guys know this, I don't work for the church. I work for a meat company. I work for sausage. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be up at 5.45 a.m., and by the time that some of you college students wake up, I will have ground 2,000 pounds of sausage, ground it, mixed it, and linked it. I'm the linker now, okay? So that's what I do. We smoke it and, you know, like that. But you know what I'm saying? Anyways, and here's what I know. In my workplace, and I'm kind of, 
it sounds weird to say, I'm kind of the boss of the place. We've got about 15 employees that work for us. Not the boss because I'm like cool and I know a lot. I'm the boss because my dad's the owner and he's getting old, so he's like, I'm tired. So, you know, kind of by familial status. And I know that we have people that work with us. Even though we work out in the country and everybody knows Jesus, we have people that work for us who don't know where they stand with God. We have people that work for us, that work for me, that don't know Jesus. And it's my prayer to say, God, open the door, create conversations, create opportunities. Create times, create circumstances, create whatever it is that you want to create so that I can just be attentive. And he says in the beginning of this prayer, hey, I want you to be steadfast and I want you to be watchful. In other words, I don't want you to just go in blindly. I want you to be watchful as you pray for these things. Now let me ask a question. And this, this is, you know, a lot of this, by the way, is specifically for Christians. So if you're in here, you're not a Christian, man, I'm going to kind of give you a couple things to take at home at the end with this. But if you're a Christian, let me just ask you. Is it a part of your regular prayer life to pray that God would give you opportunities to share the mystery of Christ, that is, Jesus. Do we pray for that? Are we constantly on our knees for that? Are you constantly on your knees for not only yourself, but the people around you, the people that are in your community group, the people that go to church with you, the people that don't go to church with you, but you know that they know Jesus, and you know that they want to share the gospel? You see, I think the reason that more of us don't share our faith is because more of us don't even think about it. Most of us go to work, and you know you got ABC to do, you know you got all these emails to answer to, you know you got this meeting at 9, you know you have this thing at 11.30. And we just don't think about it. You go to class, and half of your kind of the debate is, do I go or not? And if I go, can I stay awake? And if I can't stay awake, how much do I have to stay awake in order to get a decent grade, you know? And that's what we think. That's what we do. That's how we live. But prayer is such a critical part because one, prayer moves or helps to move, and this is kind of a whole other sermon for a whole other day. Prayer helps to move the heart of God. That sounds weird, and kind of how that works out theologically is a bit tricky because God does know, God does have a plan, God is all supreme, all sufficient. But, but, but Jesus says in the scriptures, he says, man, sometimes when you pray, it's like this widow that kept knocking, and they kept knocking, and they kept knocking, and they kept knocking, or they kept, you know, going to the judge, and going to the judge, and they going to the judge, and they going to the judge, and finally the judge says, I will give you what you want because you're so annoying. Now, that's a really weird way to view God. He says, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, when you pray over and over and over and over and over and over, God, give me an opportunity, God, give me an opportunity, God, give me an opportunity, you have the opportunity to potentially move the heart of God and the hand of God, but at the same time, God moves your heart to the realization that there's people around you every single day that don't know Him. There's people every single day that you come in contact with on the streets, in your job, at school, with your family, that don't know Jesus. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's just start. Let's just start. What if our first move in this whole thing was just to pray? Was just to pray. And I think equally problematic with that 
is that you think, okay, well, I'll pray about it. But the hard part is if God actually does open up an opportunity, I'm at work. You're working like my work, but, you know, I'm on the sausage table. You know, the sausage are kind of coming out and coming out and coming out. And as the sausage is coming out, you know, someone has a conversation. We talk, you know, because you're sitting there linking sausage for hours and hours and hours and hours next to the same person. God opens up the doors, you know, the window. It's the moment that you've been praying for and you've been hoping for and you've been thinking for. All of a sudden, the question is, so what do you say? Isn't that kind of a terrifying thought? For some of us, you know, you think, okay, yeah, I want to share the gospel, I want to tell people, <laughs> but I don't want to tell them, let me just take them to church where Ben can tell them about Jesus, you know what I mean? I mean, he, you know, he talks a lot, and he just, you know, sometimes he spits a little too much, but overall, you know, he kind of gets the point across by the end of the thing, maybe a cool story, you know, come on, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily have to tell them, and, and it's our belief, man, you are a Christian, you are full of the Holy Spirit, you have every ability to tell people about Jesus, and God has chosen you to be his ambassador, but the question inevitably is, so if that moment arises, if the prayer request comes true, if God opens this glorious window, and who knows how that happens? Who knows what that looks like? Maybe it's a little bit forced. Maybe it's a little bit awkward. But at the same time, someone comes to you and says, hey, I got this problem. I got this issue. And you seem to be kind of normal. What would you do? And you have an opportunity to tell them that maybe your normalcy and your emotional health comes because of the fact that your hope doesn't lie here on earth, but because you have a Father in heaven and whatever happens here doesn't matter. But if you were just to say that, you'd feel awkward. You'd feel a little bit weird. No, it's so cool. This is why I love the Bible. When I read this verse for the first time, not, no, not for the first time, I don't know when the first time I read this verse was. When I heard someone talk about this verse for the first time, let me just tell you, it brought so much peace to what I had felt for so long. Because something that you don't know about me because I get up and I talk all the time and I say stuff a bunch. One of the things that I'm constantly worried about is am I really telling the gospel? Am I really telling people about Jesus as clearly as I can? I mean, there's so many compartments to it. There's so much about the Old Testament prophesying. There's so much about the old and the law and that we're all sinners, that we're all indebted to God. There's so much about the fact that, you know, because of our sinfulness and God's holiness, there had to be some way to bridge the gap between us and Him. And because of my good works, although my good works are good works, and I might be good compared to you and you might be good compared to me, none of us are good compared to God because He's perfect. And so there had to be something to bridge that gap. There had to be something to forgive our debts. And Jesus was the payment of that. And it's not just transactional. That He has invited you to go from death to life, that you now have a heavenly Father. That you now have ultimate forgiveness. I'm thinking, man, how do you say that over the sausage stuffer? That's just a tough convo. Honestly. So Paul says this. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I, now this is huge. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, no, this is huge. 
He's saying, man, the one thing that, that I'm just praying for is that God would allow me the ability to communicate it clearly. Now, that might not sound like that big of a deal to you. But let me tell you how reassuring that is to me. That Paul, who at this point has written letter after letter after letter explaining the gospel. Paul, who has gone on multiple missionary journeys, traveling, telling people about Jesus, telling it so clearly that it's so unearthed other people's pre-existing ideologies and theologies about God and how God interfaced and interacted with humanity. And he was so clear about it, they kicked him out of the city, would stone him at times, would beat him at times. Paul, who wrote Philippians, I mean, hello, Paul, who wrote Romans, is there ever a more deep, theologically informed part of the scriptures? It's the closest thing that we have to any type of a real systematic theology in the book of Romans. And this is after he wrote the book of Romans. And Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, who I'm sitting, I read Romans still, and I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like, you read through it, and like, you, you know, it's easy to read Romans too fast. You read Romans too fast, and, and you just, you miss it. You read Romans too slow, you turn out weird. But either way, you know, you read Romans, and you're like, this guy got it. I mean, if there was ever a guy who understood the gospel, if there was ever a guy who could clearly communicate and articulate the gospel, it was Paul. And Paul is writing, when he's in jail, for telling people about the gospel, have written numerous times about the gospel, he's saying, I'm just not sure it's clear enough yet. I'm just not sure I'm really communicating it clearly. And let me tell you, the first time I heard that, I'm like, hello. That's what I think every time I get up on stage on Sunday. I'm like, all right, all right, so I think I'm saying it, but I'm just not sure it's as clear as it can be. And that's what you feel, and that's what I feel, that you have a friend that says something, and the door opens, and the window opens, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been thinking, and you've been thinking, and you've been hoping, and you've been hoping, and all of a sudden someone says something, you're like, this is my opportunity. And you're like, crap. This might not come out too clear. I might fumble this one a little bit. I might muddy this up a little bit. Paul says, I feel you. And in fact, I don't have a secret for it. Yeah, after all the ministry I've done. Yeah, after all the letters I've written. That were going to be so clear. They would one day be canonized as the New Testament in Scripture. He said, man, I still got to pray for God to give me the ability to communicate with clarity. That's huge. That's got to be a part of our prayer life. Because we oftentimes pray and say, God, give me an opportunity, give me a window. I mean, come on. If it's true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father without Him, if it's true that we are indebted to God, that we are fundamentally incompatible with God, and the only way to be reconciled to God is through the blood of Jesus, through the forgiveness, through the sacrifice that was made on the cross. It's critical that we share it. And Paul says, so pray for me, man. Pray for me that God would give me the opportunity to share this. And when I do, I know this might sound stupid because of the amount of ministry that I've done. But please pray 
that God would give me the ability to communicate it clearly. For some of us, man, that's the prayer request. That's the thing to pray about, to think about. That's the take home of you just simply going home and praying to God and saying, God, would you give me an opportunity? And God, when you give me that opportunity, I'm going to be terrified. I'm going to be scared to death. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm probably going to stutter 85 times. But would you make it clear through me? He continues on, he says, so, kind of words of wisdom, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I love how he kind of gives the holistic perspective of how he does ministry. He says, so walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best of the use of time. In other words, and hey, a, a big part of how you are going to be effective to a non-believing world isn't simply by what you say. I mean, you can be the most clear communicator of the gospel. You can have the most opportunities, but if people don't see it how you live, they're probably not going to believe it. And he says, so be careful. Be wise. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to how people see you. Pay attention to how people perceive you. The person that says no one but God can judge me is an idiot because everyone's judging you. And especially as a Christian, everyone is judging you because you claim that you have the truth. You claim ex- exclusivity to the truth that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And other people say, okay, see it. Jesus, so come on, be careful how you live. Making the best use of the time. And this, this whole thing is just so full of nuggets. I mean, we could talk just an entire sermon about how to make the best use of your time, how to make the best use of your time as a student, how to make your best use of your time in the workplace, how to make the best use of your time just in every area of life, how to make the best use of your time, you know, in your relationship with God, how to make the best use of your time with your friends, with your families. I mean, just how do you make the best use of your time? I said, it's okay. So, but I just want you to, for, for now, a little tidbit, I want you to make great use of your time and let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Which in like the church world, people love to dissect the heck out of those verses. It's like, oh, gracious. And so here's what gracious means. And here's what salt. And salt was like a preservative. And salt was like a, it made things taste good. And salt was like a, we have like, eight, salt was gritty, you know. And in that day, salt wasn't like our salt. Salt was just, come on. He's just saying, hey, be smart how you talk. Okay. Tell people the truth, but at the same time, don't be an idiot about it. You know, don't be that guy that just goes on Facebook and goes nuts and rants and raves and rants and raves and rants and raves. And then the people will be like, oh my gosh, did you see his rave? Did you see his rant? I want to follow Jesus right now. That's dumb. So he said, okay, so, just, so, so be smart. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Kind of as, as, as take home, it's kind of been apparent as we've gone through. But let me ask a couple pointed questions. One, how's your prayer life? I mean, honestly, if you're a Christian, is a part of your regular prayer life, as a part, let's start with this, is a part of your heart's concern, is it part of your mind's concern? Is it part of the concern of your life that there are people around you who don't know Jesus and God's called you to be an ambassador and to do something about it? That God's called you not to actually just invite people to church. God's called you to tell people about the one who you go to church for, who you believe in, who is Jesus, because church is actually just a group of people. And it's not even a place. He's saying, you're the ambassador. So let me ask this. Do you wake up in the morning thinking about that? 
If you wake up in the morning with the realization that eternity, eternity is a long time, and God's called you to play a part in the redemption of the world, I mean, hello. That's huge. And if it is a concern of yours, does your prayer life reflect it? Do you pray for opportunities? Do you pray that God would give you influence? Do you pray that people would listen to you? And if you do, do you pray that God, okay, so when that happens, scary moment, holy cow, what happened? God, I pray that you could help me to make it clear. And are you walking in wisdom? In a way that people, when you say what God gives you the opportunity to say, and you say it with clarity, here's the question. Will people hear that and believe it because of how you live? Or will people hear that and think that's not true because of how you live? You see, God's called us to holiness. He's called us to motivation to love people. He's called us to obey people because of the love that we have for us, but it's inevitable. Our obedience to God is seen by other people. Neither either substantiates or invalidates the clarity that we might communicate. So he's saying, so be smart. Be wise. Make the best use of your time. If you're young, that means you work hard. That means you try hard. That might mean you get up early. That might mean you actually do homework. (laughs) On time. I know I say that and that sounds silly, but I'm just thinking about me when I was in college. I'd have been like, sweet, that sermon. If you're older, man, let me just tell you. It's just an obvious thing that happens in life. The older you are in life, the more people listen to you. You have so much influence. You have so much. There's so many young people that would just love to sit and listen to the wisdom that you have. And you have a unique opportunity. That simply because of where you are in life, you have influence. So Paul says, man, be wise with that. Be smart with that. Pray for opportunities. And when those opportunities present themselves, pray that you can communicate it clearly. Because here's the reality. I'm going to close with this. The reality is, is the world was similar to how it was when Paul was around. But there's people who don't know Jesus. And it's our belief that that's a big deal. It's our belief that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's our belief that you and I, because of our sinful nature, and you're a good person, I'm a good person, but we all, we've all sinned and fallen short, are fundamentally incompatible with God. And that Jesus bridged that gap. And it's our belief that as people who do believe that, God has called us to be his ambassadors. So, are you praying for it? Are you hoping for it? Because come on. Jesus started with 12 people and made a world of difference. Who got this? Who lived this? Who prayed for this? And who embodied this? 
We got a room of like 60. I mean, if Jesus could do it with 12, now none of us are Jesus, granted. But we all have the Holy Spirit. How much a difference could be made in our campuses and in our workplaces and in our city if we got this? God said, come on. I haven't just given you salvation. I've invited you to be a part of the story of the redemption of mankind. And you've been invited into that. You play a critical role in that. You are an ambassador of me. So pray. So pray. So pray. And as the opportunity presents itself, because you've been praying so hard and so long that it just becomes obvious what you need to say and when you need to say it. So we're going to end our time together uh, in prayer. In, in, in prayer for two things, I'm gonna, just going to pray for you that, that God will put on your heart to pray. We're not going to sing a song after because I just think, man, we just need to go home in a mode and an attitude of prayer. Some of us, when you get home, you need to start praying. Some of us, you know, you need to wake up and put it on your daily schedule to start praying. We have cool things like smartphones. You can just set a reminder to pray. You don't have to make it super spiritual and super self-disciplined. You just text yourself. Who cares? But it's critical. It's important. We got to, we got to, we got to get this. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would give the men and women in this room the opportunity that you would open the door for them to have life-changing and meaningful conversations. God, I pray that you would inspire us to pray. You'd inspire us to wake up every day praying for opportunities, seeking opportunities, praying that you would open the door to opportunities. And when you inevitably do open up those opportunities because you want so badly to reach mankind that you do, God, I pray that you would give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, clarity to present whatever it is that you want us to present to whoever it is. To be smart with how we talk, to have grace with how we talk, to be seasoned with salt with how we talk to answer difficult questions, to be honest, to be transparent, to be open. And that when we do talk, when you do open the door, people would match our lives. And our lives would substantiate the claims that we make about you, Jesus. But God, I pray overall, over this whole room, you would rise up a group of people that are just sent out to go reach a world that is so badly and so desperately in need of you. If you're in here and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you're in here and you've heard it before but you've never come to the point where you just said, yes, I want to be in God's good graces. I want the ultimate forgiveness. And I accept the sacrifice that was made for me. I'm going to invite you to pray to pray with me and just say Jesus thank you 
for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the debt that I couldn't pay. Be my Lord. Come be my Savior. I give you my life. God, thank you for giving your son Jesus so that I can have life with you. Amen. All right, I want to say thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you at community groups, and uh, don't forget about baptisms coming up in a few weeks. We love you.